Thank you for the privilege of singing that wonderful hymn. First time I've sung it. But having read the words as I prepared the worship service, what powerful words. By the way, the Spirit blesses the preaching of the word. May God hear and answer. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, we hear God's word from two texts, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. First of all, from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. Your pew Bibles on page 324. 1 Kings 19, page 324. Story of Elijah, quite well known. Elijah, who was persecuted, threatened with death. The Lord intervened and spoke to him in a silent whisper. And he told him, as we read in verse 16, the second part, that he was to go and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah. You shall anoint his prophet in your place. And we read that anointing in verses 19 and following. Hear God's word. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen, oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he rose and followed Elijah and became his servant. The prophetic ministry moved from Elijah to Elisha. We now read in the New Testament the remove of the prophetic ministry in the New Covenant from Paul to Timothy. I invite you to read with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2. Page 1056 in your Bible. Page 1056. 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 13 through chapter 2, verse 13. Hear these words. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love with it which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have take, turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And God grant mercy to the household of Nisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. 
Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, for which I suffer terrible as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Amen. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church needs pastors, preachers, teachers, missionaries, evangelists. Your church needs pastors. Every church needs pastors, pastor teachers. And in our day, and even more likely in the days of our children and our grandchildren, The urgent need of the church will be for more pastors, men who can hand on the preaching of the word of God to the next generation. I might need to explain and even justify that statement that there will be a greater need for pastors. But before I do, I'd like us to look at the text. Our text is chapter 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2. I'd like to look at this text and first of all explain that the word of God was received by the apostles. That this word of God received by the apostles was then to be the word of God entrusted to faithful teachers. And then I'd like to explain the urgent need for pastors, pastor teachers as I call them. And finally, as an application, your work for the next pastor teachers of this church and of the church of Jesus Christ. Because the need for pastor teachers becomes your need to pray that the Lord would give us pastors to encourage young men to become pastors, to support their education and training as pastors, and then, quite obviously, to listen to their teaching, faithful teaching of the Word of God. But let us begin with the text here, 2 Timothy 2, verse verse 2, which I will reread. And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, Commit these to faithful men who will be able to to teach others also. When I read this text, I have a picture in my mind, and I want the same picture in your own mind. I have the picture of a relay race. You may have participated in a relay race at school. You've more than likely seen relay races in the Olympics, the 4x100. A baton, a stick, is given to the first runner. He must run 100 meters, give it to the second runner. The second runner takes the stick, the baton, and moves to the third runner, and so forth. The baton is the word of God. The runner, the runners, are the preachers, missionaries, evangelists who preach the word of God. And the first runner is the Apostle Paul. The word of God, 
This word of God, given through special revelation to Paul, the apostle, and the other apostles and prophets, must be received, was received by Paul and the apostles, and only this word must be handed on to evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So let's examine a few details in this text. It's Paul the apostle writing to Timothy, the young evangelist. Who was Timothy? He was a believer, child of God. He was raised in the faith by his believing mother and grandmother. During Paul's second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16, he was recommended to Paul. He was ordained as an evangelist or as a pastor. He became Paul's spiritual son as well as his apprentice, his disciple. We could say he was Paul's intern training in the ministry. So we have here in this text two pastors, an apostle and an evangelist, handing on the baton, the word of God, from the apostle to the evangelist, the preacher. The baton in this text is described as what you have heard, the things that you have heard from me. The things you have heard from me, and then when you say heard, it doesn't mean I simply heard about it like you got a, a feed on your social media about a news item, I heard about it. No, this is heard in the sense of understanding. The message that was heard and understood, that was spent time listening to, studied, asked questions, and then articulated so that we got the message right. This message was heard by Timothy. Commentators ask, what exactly was the message that's being referred to here? Some believe it's a short gospel summary, like we can find further on in verse 8, Jesus Christ of the seed of David, raised from the dead. Others would argue that it's the fullness of Paul's teaching. All his gospel instruction. Catholic commentators will also refer to the oral tradition of the apostles, the apostolic oral tradition kept by the Catholic Church. But here we need to understand it as as the completeness of Paul's teaching, the sum of his teaching, which is for us in the Word of God, the Bible. The scriptures are that baton, the Word of God. The written Word of God, which reveals the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. From whom did Paul receive the word of God? Who gave him the gospel message? Or in other words, who gave him the baton? The children know the answer. God did. God revealed his word to Paul. We talk about inspiration, revelation and inspiration. Through the Spirit's work, Paul received the gospel message that he preached and that he even had written down for us. This is what Paul, Timothy had heard and he was to receive. But I want us to insist for a moment on the importance of the apostle received the word of God. The apostle received the word of God by special revelation. And I want to highlight the difference then between Paul and Timothy. Or between Paul and the apostles and all other preachers and teachers of the gospel, all other evangelists. First of all, we need to know that only Paul with the apostles received the divine revelation. Only their generation, the apostles and prophets. They are the only ones. And since there is no more divine revelation, no new word of God to be added. Or to use the image again of a relay race. The race official gives the baton to the first runner. He does not give a different baton to the second or the third runner. One baton for the whole race. One word of God for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word of God was received by the apostles. And second of all, it is to be handed on to those who are evangelists, 
preachers, teachers, missionaries. It is to be heard by them, understood, and taught in the same way. Did you notice what Paul said to Timothy in the first verse we read? Sorry, chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The pattern of sound words. The way I preach the gospel, Timothy, hold to that. Preach in the same way, the same message. So then the word of God, through special revelation received by the apostles, is the only word of God to be handed on to future evangelists and preachers. Which brings us then to our second point, but the word of God entrusted to faithful teachers. Continuing the image, the baton is to be handed on. What's important in the race is don't drop the baton. If you drop the baton, you're disqualified from the race. Do not drop the Bible. Do not drop the faithful gospel message. The word of God received by the apostles must be carefully entrusted to faithful men of every generation who will be able to teach others. Consider again this text to those those whom it is entrusted. Those to whom it is trusted is be faithful men, like Timothy, who will be able to teach others also. Faithful, reliable men, able to teach, evangelize. There's three things in this text I'd like to highlight about their qualifications. First of all, the text says men. Some Bible translations will say to faithful people. Understand why they do it? I don't believe it's a correct translation. We're talking about men ordained to the ministry in this text. Second of all, they are to be faithful, reliable men. The same adjective is frequently used to describe the Christian message, the gospel. It is a faithful message. So the faithful, reliable, trustworthy message of the gospel must be entrusted to faithful, reliable, trustworthy men. That they in their speaking, but also in the way they live, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They must be men, faithful men. They must be able to teach. Qualification for teaching is often highlighted of gospel preachers. Because preaching is fundamentally a teaching ministry. That's why I keep insisting on pastor teachers. Pastors are not storytellers. They're not entertainers. They're not bloggers. They're not influencers. Pastors are teachers. They must have received the gift of teaching from the Spirit. They must develop that teaching. In a relay race, you want men who know how to run. They're gifted runners, trained runners. What good to have a race where you have poor runners. We need gifted teachers. I'd like to develop this a little bit more in terms of the men. Because the text puts an emphasis on qualified men to teach. They are to be entrusted with the word of God. Entrusted in a sense of committed. The word of God committed to them. Just briefly, the word trust and trust here or committed as you have it in your translation is a commercial term. Giving something to someone for safekeeping, to take care of. The person has to have a personal interest in what he receives to keep it safe. The same verb is used by Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. And he said to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Heavenly Father took his spirit and had personal safety and protection of that spirit. Pastors are entrusted with the word of God, the gospel. 
They must take personal responsibility, personally care for that message. Not drop the baton, not deform it, but rather take the word of God and carefully bring it to the next preacher, next teacher. The text insists upon the work of the teaching. We need men. The text insists upon the messengers more than the message. It insists more on the teaching than on the, mess- the word of God. And that makes sense. Can you imagine a relay race where there's no runners? That the official lays the baton on the track and says, go around the track. That would never work. It would be ridiculous. We need to commit the word of God to preachers who can teach. So the gospel ministry, and let me be clear here, the gospel ministry is not simply handing out Bibles. The gospel ministry is not simply having Bible apps that we can download. The gospel ministry is not simply providing audio Bibles online. These are all wonderful gifts. And we praise God for the ministries like the Gideons, the Bible societies that handle Bibles. And we know stories of men and women who have been converted because they received the Bible. We give thanks to God. However, the, most, the essential, faithful, and even fruitful gospel ministry is the ministry of preachers of the Word. Preachers of the Word. I'll tell you a story. 2008 was the 400th anniversary of Quebec City. An evangelistic group got together and they raised $400,000 to do a large evangelistic outreach. Wonderful. We participated with them. Part of their outreach was to distribute the Gospel of John to every household in Quebec City. 400,000 gospel tracts of the Gospel of John in Quebec City. Wonderful. Well, afterwards I reflected and I said, I think we just participated in a recycling campaign. Most households would just simply take the track and put it in the recycling. Quebecers are big on green stuff. They don't put it in the trash. They put it in the recycling. We would have been better off taking that $400,000 and calling some godly men to preach the gospel, to bring sinners to new life, and to teach them. You know that. You children even know it, right? Because the children and youth, you remember the story that we tell over and over again. The Ethiopian eunuch. You remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? He went to the temple in Jerusalem and he downloaded a Bible. Well, it wasn't a download. He received the scriptures. Isaiah. Prophecy of Isaiah. And he started reading. And Philip the evangelist came along and he asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And Eudic responded with wisdom, How can I understand unless someone guides me? How can I understand unless someone teaches me? We need teachers of the word of truth. And so if I return to Quebec City, I am so thankful that the bishop, Catholic bishop, Gerald Lacroix, and even the Pope encouraged the Catholics to read the Bible. They're big on Bible reading. Wonderful. Thank the Lord for that. But what the Catholics need are teachers because they do not understand what they read. The urgent call of our text then 
And the urgent need of the church is not to hand out another Bible, but rather to put the Bible in the hands of men who can teach those who need to hear. But let me go a step further. Why preachers? Why does God take mere men to teach the word of truth? Why does God take mere men to teach this holy, divine truth? Because these men are vessels of the Holy Spirit. Preachers, evangelists, and missionaries are vessels of the Holy Spirit. Preaching is a continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel ministry. Let's go back to your catechism classes. You talked about revelation and inspiration. You talked about illumination. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave us the Bible through revelation and inspiration so that it's truly the Word of God. We also know that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives, illuminating us so that we can understand the Word of God. But then there's a link between the two. And that's the preaching of the gospel by men who are ordained in the Spirit. Men who are ordained by the Spirit. You've seen an ordination of a pastor? You've seen it when the pastors and elders place their hands upon him so that he might be ordained and gift, gift of the Spirit? This is the crucial moment. This is where the baton is handed off. The Spirit is given to that man so that he, by the Spirit, would indeed be entrusted with the gospel and preach faithfully. That's what we read in verse 14 of chapter 1. Did you notice? After exhorting Paul, uh, Timothy in verse 13 to teach according to the pattern of sound words, Paul adds in verse 14 of chapter 1, that good thing that was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, committed to you, that good thing, the gospel, committed to you, entrusted to you, Keep it, not by your own strength, but by the Spirit who indwells you. Brothers and sisters, for the church, for us to experience the continuing work of the Spirit, for us to experience a continuing teaching work of the Holy Spirit, we need men of God, ordained by the Spirit, who can faithfully teach it to us. We've looked at the text I'd like us to consider a little bit of the context, literary context, but particularly the historical context, the circumstances in which Paul wrote this exhortation. I'd like to draw your attention to the persecutions that he suffered at that time. It's persecution because of, by civilian authorities. And then draw a parallel to our own circumstances. The opposition and persecution by civilian authorities. The church always needs pastors. But I believe that in the years and generations to come, we will need them even more, more urgently. Consider with me, Paul is writing this letter from prison. It's not his first imprisonment. We all read the children you read, first, second, fourth missionary voyage to Rome in Acts chapter 28. He's in prison. Other texts, church tradition teaches us that Paul was released probably in the year 62. He continued his gospel ministry. Four or five years later, in the year 66, 67, after the birth of Jesus Christ, he was again imprisoned in Rome. It's during this second Roman imprisonment that he writes this letter to Timothy. Paul, in his letter, refers to his sufferings. Even in the text we read, chapter 2, verse 9, he refers to his chains that he is wearing. Chapter 4, verse 6, further on, 
He refers to his impending death. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And he did depart, beheaded in Rome, because he was a servant of God, beheaded on the authority of the emperor, Nero. Nero, who started the first persecution of Christians in Rome. What we need to understand is that the earlier persecution against Christians was often initiated by Jews who enlisted and sought out this hope, uh, the support of civilian authorities. Later, the persecution shifted. It was the civilian authorities themselves who initiated the persecution against the Christians. Now, Paul, when he's writing here, he's writing in the year 66, 67 A.D. We're still about 200, 250 years away from the Edict of, Na- Edict of Milan, sorry. Edict of Milan in the year 313. If you remember your church history, Emperor, Constantin- uh, Emperor Constantine, sorry. Emperor Constantine wrote this edict in order to give freedom of religion to all and freedom in particular to Christians. From that time, that Edict of Milan, the Christianity began to transition and become a majority, even a dominant religion of the Roman Empire. But we're in the time period before, when Christianity was a minority religion. Overall, it was a peaceful time for Christians. They were largely ignored, a small religious group. There were several regional persecutions by civilian authorities, often for political reasons, social or economic. There's two, possibly three, emperor-wide pers- uh, empire-wide persecutions. But I dare say that this, what we're describing in this context, is looking more and more like our times. Christianity is becoming a minority religion in North America. And I'm not just talking reformed believers. We are a minority, strong one. But I'm talking all Christians. I'm going to just give you the context in the province of Quebec. Frequently we say in Quebec about 1% of the population is evangelical believer, Baptist, Pentecostal, reformed, and other. Often we think of Quebec as Roman Catholic. Today's statistics are about 60 to 75% of Quebecers will call themselves Roman Catholic, but that's a drop of about 15% from five or 10 years ago. Only about 8% of Quebecers will actually go to a religious activity once a month. 8%. Any type of religious activity once a month. And that number keeps dropping because those who are going are elderly. What, happened, what is happening in Quebec I would dare say is a foretaste of what will happen in North America in decades to come. And you don't have to go to Quebec. You can go to the Netherlands or Europe. The scene is very similar. Christianity is becoming a minority religion. And we ask ourselves if we will still have our democratic freedoms, our legal freedoms, or will our historical privilege be turned into discrimination against Christians? Certainly a fact of our moral values and the exclusive claims of the gospel will be viewed as intolerant by others and possibly not permitted. In short, we or children or grandchildren, we may be entering into a time of increasing persecution initiated by civilian authorities against the church. Some of you might be saying, well, Reverend Westervelt's a rather pessimist, prophet of doom. If you know me, I tend to be quite optimistic. And I know there's great prophets of doom out there who speak too much. You need to listen to wise men, men of knowledge and understanding like Carl Truman. Carl Truman, in his recent book, Strange New World, or you can listen to his videos, 
You can also listen to Paul Wells, his introduction to systematic theology. But that's written in the French language, which most of you don't read. A very good read, by the way. What does the church need in a time of persecution? Prayer. Much earnest intercessory prayer. We also need models of Christian conduct. Strong Christian models. I encourage you already, subscribe to the voice of the martyrs, to the open doors, and read the testimonies of believers who are now being persecuted around the world. We also need political, cultural, social, economic involvement. We give thanks for the work of organizations like ARPA, for Christian schools, for other institutions that seek to be a light in our society. That's good, but that's not the priority. The first need of the church in time of persecution is to have preachers of the word. Preacher teachers who will indeed instruct us how to stand fast in the gospel. Preacher teachers who will be in much prayer for the church to stand fast. Preacher teachers who will show us how to stand fast because they are often the first to be persecuted. But there's nothing new under the sun. The Reformation period in Europe, John Calvin, Geneva. John Calvin was from France. He was in Geneva, Switzerland because of the persecution of the church in France. He established the academy, a seminary for training pastors. Many young men came from France to Geneva to be trained in the academy of Geneva. Many returned to France, and many, many of them lost their lives. I read it several years ago. I couldn't find the reference again. But the academy, the seminary in Geneva, was known as the Academy of Martyrs. But the Lord sent, in that period, a short time period, 220 young men to be trained in the ministry and sent back into France. The word of God is not chained. Elijah was persecuted. God sent Elisha. Paul is persecuted. He sends Timothy and others. And that's the reason I believe that Paul, when he says he is in chains, he says, I am in chains, but the word of God is not chained. Why not? Because God continues to send out men who are free to preach and teach the gospel. And he never fails to give us preachers of the word, even in times of persecution. So the need of the church in our day, the need of the church in all days, is for pastor-teachers. What is your service? What is your work as brothers and sisters in Christ? If I was preaching this text, 2 Timothy to a group of seminarians, I'd have a lot to say to them. I'd teach them how to run with a baton. I'd teach them how to teach the gospel. Many of you will not be called to the ministry, most of you. But the need of the church becomes your need to work. I'd like quickly to give four applications for you as a gospel as a church first of all you need to pray you need to pray for this gift of, of pastors and preachers and evangelists to the church to our ascended Lord Jesus Christ as we read in chapter, Ephesians chapter 4 our ascended Lord Jesus Christ promises to give pastors and evangelists and teachers to the church and when the Lord promises we claim that promise in prayer and so be diligent in prayer for pastors or take those words of Jesus Christ when he said the, the harvest is plentiful the laborers are few 
Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God will give us preachers, faithful men of God, to teach. Second of all, encourage young men to become pastors. It is a noble calling. Challenging one, I'll admit. But it is a noble calling to preach the gospel. And you need to encourage young men amongst you to seek out that calling and see if the Lord would indeed call them and use them as preachers of the gospel. Encourage them. But might I add, encourage the young women. Encourage the wives. Encourage their children. Being the wife of a pastor, being the children of a pastor, has particular challenges, temptations, trials. They need your encouragement. Pray for the gift of preachers. Encourage young men to become preachers. And then support their training. Support their training. Seminaries, training materials, scholarships, internships. It's costly to support our seminaries, but it's so necessary. It's costly to receive an intern and pay him to work. It can be painful, too. Listening to a young man preach his first sermons can be memorial, uh, memorable. Sorry, I'll never forget the day the intern fainted in the pulpit. But he became a great preacher of the word. Support their training. And then finally, it's clear from this text, listen to their teaching. They are sent to teach those who would listen to them. Listen to the gospel. We know very well that faith comes from listening to the word. And that word is the preached word of God. The reason we are gathered is so that we might hear the preached word of God. We need the preached word of God to indeed inflame and encourage our zealous faith that the Spirit has given us. We need the preached word of God in order to call us to faith. We need the preached word of God in order to awaken our faith which has become lazy and too comfortable. We need the preached word of God to encourage us when our faith is discouraged, depressed, and weak. We need pastors. We need to hear their faithful teaching because we need to hear the Spirit of God speak to us through the faithful preaching of the word. And when we hear, our faith is fed. It blossoms, it grows, it flourishes, it bears fruit to the glory of our God and our joy and our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we give you praise again that you have spoken to us. You give us ambassadors, those who speak in your place. But it is you, our Father, speaking to us. You, the living word, Jesus Christ, who are speaking to us. You, the spirit of truth that is speaking to us. We pray, almighty God, that you would continue to raise up pastors for our churches, that you continue to raise up evangelists, teachers, missionaries, that you give us godly men, so that we might indeed be fed in the faith. Lord, pour out your spirit upon your church, we pray. 
so that in time of peace or in persecution, that we may always stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we may always stand firm by the Spirit, resist the work of the devil, and testify to the world that our Lord 